Great. Welcome back to the Simple Farmhouse Life podcast. Today I'm having on Natalie from Natalie Kovarik. Oh my goodness. I just had her tell me how to pronounce her name and I'm messing it up again, but it's Natalie K-O-V-A-R-I-K. She shares over on Instagram the behind the scenes of her ranch and then also a lot of information on myths that seem to happen around the cattle industry and agriculture in general. Her main messages are facts, not fear, and agriculture is not the problem. And I was so intrigued by this. I was actually introduced to her by my younger sister who has a cattle farm. And she she sent me a couple of her posts and I've been screenshotting them for probably over a year and really wanted to get her on the podcast to talk about this. Maybe bust some myths, share some information you might not know, give you some jumping off points for digging into this topic a little bit deeper if that's something that you are interested in. Talking about food and feeding the nation and what to do with land that isn't usable in order to produce food. She has so much good information and I found this discussion really fascinating. Now I'm going to give a little disclaimer that we had some technical difficulties. So for half the interview, Natalie and I are both on the camera and then half the time we had to disable her camera because we're having connection problems. But nonetheless, pop in an earbud and enjoy this interview even if you can't watch the video the entire time. I hope that you learned something and that you will be following along with Natalie over on our Instagram following more of the behind the scenes and learning from all of the information she shares. I know that I'm excited to continue to follow along and learn more as she shares. My name is Lisa, mother of seven and creator of the blog and YouTube channel, Farmhouse on Boone. Join me as I share with you my love for creating a handmade home from scratch cooking and a little mom and entrepreneur life along the way. Well, thanks so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. My sister actually introduced me to your page, I don't know, a while ago because she's in agriculture and she actually has, she raises cattle and she found your page really interesting. And so, yeah, I've been following it for a while and like screenshotting things, all thinking, okay, I'm going to have her on my podcast one of these days. So I'm excited to finally get you on. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you for the invite. Yeah. So your message and your whole story and ranch is all very interesting. And I don't know, I think it'd be really cool to talk about that and just share with my listeners what your message is and why there's a lot of misunderstanding what you've encountered as being a rancher, like what the misunderstandings are about agriculture. So start off by telling us a little bit about you and your ranch and your your story. Yeah. So my name's Natalie Kavorik. Um, my husband and I own and operate Kavorik Cattle Company, um, which is a ranch here in central Nebraska. We're pretty much like smack dab in the middle of the state. And we're a pretty diversified operation. So we're involved in a few different, I guess, like uh, faucets of the beef industry. Um, and we're definitely heavier on the livestock side than we are um, on farming. So we do very minimal farming. We either lease it out um, or we have some that we retain for ourselves to plant, you know, either to a, maybe graze our cattle or to, you know, harvest it into feed um, to then give to our cattle. So uh, big picture is very minimal farming, lots of cows. My husband loves cows. <laughs> on top of that, I've been sharing online uh, for the past two years. Um, actually, April marked my two-year anniversary, which was kind of exciting. Okay. And I Yeah, I really just got online. I wanted to share um, the perspective of the ranch wife. I know that term's a little outdated now, um, just with 
you know, uh, women taking a stance of, um, or a role really of, um, kind of being the head operators or, um, maybe the ones out in the field, whether it's farming or ranching. So I think spouse is probably the more <laughs> appropriate term now, but I still like fondly relate to the title ranch wife. And, um, I don't have a problem with it. Cause I just, I think historically looking back, all of the really strong operations, I think they had a really strong rancher farm wife who was behind, um, you know, the main operator. And so I really got online to kind of showcase the beauty of that role and really find a community of other ranch wives. And I've been fortunate enough over the last couple of years to um, kind of go beyond that simple mission and really build a good community and, you know, turn this this lifestyle that I love so much um, and proud to live into an actual business about sharing about it. So it's been really fun and I um, am honored to to get online every day and, you know, introduce people a little bit to agriculture. Yeah. So whenever you started, did you imagine you're going to be sharing something different and then you found that there was some misunderstandings about your role that maybe caused you to shift a little bit? Because I noticed a lot of your content is calling out and educating people on things that we might not understand as people who don't have ranches. Yeah. So that was very serendipitous for me. That was not my intention. And I actually fought it for quite a while. I was like, that's not my role. That's not how I want to use my voice. Um, it still makes me a little like shifty or nervous when people say I'm like, an, my page is education because that's just, I, I just <laughs> don't feel... Um, you know, my background is not in agri... So I grew up in agriculture. I have a background from being raised okay. on a ranch, but I did not go to school. Like I am not educated in agriculture. So my husband, um, you know, has a master's in animal science and ruminant nutrition. And that's intimidating for me that there are people, you know, who have spent six to eight years of their life really um, learning in a classroom setting about agriculture. Whereas, you know, I went to school for pharmacy. So <laughs> I, you know, when I talk, of, you create these posts and, and use my voice in a way, um, it was very intimidating for me at first, um, just because I didn't feel equipped to, to talk about it. And honestly, when you're in agriculture, and I think other people in this would, um, you know, support the statement, but we know a lot about what we, we do on our own operations, but um, that doesn't necessarily mean we know you know, what other, whether it's beef operators are doing, um, or, you know, a lot about the dairy industry or, you know, how, what it takes to do the pork industry or, or about, you know, growing, you know, produce and vegetables. So, um, yeah, I was definitely, I never thought I would be advocating in the sense I am, but I definitely have a personality that I just, I couldn't take it anymore. The more and more I kept getting uh, <laughs> yeah. introduced and seeing, um, I just, I didn't realize there was a big of a disconnect, and once I was exposed to that, I just couldn't ignore it any longer, really. Yeah. So maybe you imagined yourself sharing like what your behind the scenes role is as far as I don't really even know what a ranch wife does, to be honest with you. Yeah. <laughs> but and then it, it shifted into people, you know, having these certain beliefs. And I have to admit, some of the things that I was going through your page and reading, there are certain beliefs, even though I grew up around cattle. So you think I would know all of this stuff. But just from hearing some mainstream thought on it. Mm -hmm thinking that maybe other things happened that don't happen that I didn't witness in my own personal, like we weren't a rancher. We only ever had like 50 cattle, but how that shifted for you is interesting. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was interesting. I, I, like you said, I definitely got on. I thought I would share about motherhood on the ranch. That's a very important thing to me um, is raising, I have my littles, I have three boys. I have an older one okay. who's in school, so you don't see him as much on my page. And then I have two littles, a toddler and a baby. So one, you know, they're practically with me all the time, with us all the time. Um, it's like ranching and farming is like the ultimate bring your children to work day. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I thought I would share a lot about motherhood on the ranch. And I thought I would share a lot about kind of like you said, just, 
you know, not exactly what my day to day is, but just like bring awareness to, you know, the other half of, um, you know, there's a rancher and then there's, you know, the supporting spouse. And so that's really what I thought I would get online for. And I, I don't remember the first comment that triggered me, or I, I should say like the straw that broke the camel's back. I don't remember what it was that was the last thing right. that I was like, gosh, darn it. That's, that's it. I'm doing a post. Um, so there's actually a couple of things I would love to touch on that you talked about. I, I do, I think there's a disconnect um, between food and producer one from um, just the standpoint that, right, we're not growing our own food anymore. But um, I also think that a problem that's feeding into this disconnect and making it even larger is that we do have people, you know, taking kind of their personal stance or their beliefs and whether they're twisting it into a statement or, you know, their status makes it seem like it's fact or, you know, whatever it is. I do think that we have this like misinformation problem in society. And that's why I think it just behooves us as consumers to, you know, whether it's with our food or our health or whatever it is to just really do more research about, you know, where we're sourcing things. I know I'm trying to get better, like about looking into clothes and fast fashion. And so um, I just think the more educated we are, whether it's our food or our health or whatever it is, the better we're going to be equipped to, you know, process information that's being presented to us. And then, you know, maybe it's understand it, support it and accept it, or maybe it is um, kind of dissect it and question it. Um, and we can't do that if we're not doing our own, you know, research. And And another thing I think it's so important to understand agriculture and, you know, where your food is coming from and how it's produced is because I think, Lisa, this is probably something you would really stand behind and support too, is just that I'm like a huge proponent that food is medicine before medicine. So the more we can understand about like what we're putting into our bodies and, um, you know, feel good about that um, and, you know, make the right choices, I think we're just going to be healthier, um, you know, individuals overall. Yeah, I completely agree. So whenever you said that 90% of the farms are small, I don't know if you gave me an exact number on what that means. But what are these farms that produce beef? What are they? What do they look like? And what does your farm look like that maybe people don't expect that they think it looks completely different than what it might actually look like? So the beef industry is pretty complex. There's, I think, there's definitely different facets of it that I don't think people understand. Um, and then also geographically, wherever you are, is really going to dictate what your farmer ranch looks like as well. Just because you, depending on your geographical area, you can graze cattle with, you know, smaller lands, or sometimes you'll need more. So it's really dictated, you know, if you're looking from a land standpoint, you'll have a lot smaller of farms and ranches on the east. And then you'll get much more expansive when you get out to the west. But that's just because it takes more land to feed, you know, that one animal, um, whether it, you know, I, I, I'm getting a little out of my wheelhouse here to break down like the science part of that. So it's hard to say, you know, just across the board, farms and ranches look so different from each other. And I think that's one of the really great things about social media is that it's given producers the ability to show how diverse agriculture is. Um, and I, I get that all the time, actually, from people within the beef industry following me and saying, like, you know, we raise cattle, too, but we love watching how you guys do it because you do it so differently than how we do it. And a lot of that's geographically depicted. But the other thing that's hard to explain about the beef industry is that there's different um, sectors. There's like a cow-calf sector, which is um, when you're raising beef for cattle to basically enter like food production. So it's going to be the food that you eat in the grocery store or, um, you know, the food that's in restaurants. And then there's like a seed stock or a registered sector, which you're basically raising animals for genetics. So that's actually the ranch I grew up. I grew up on a Hereford registered operation. Um, so people would come to our ranch and they would buy bulls or females, you know, to breed those genetics back into their herd. 
Um, so that a ranch for that is going to look completely different than a cow calf operation. And then you get into, you know, feedlots, which would be a sector of it. Um, and that's going to look completely different too. So it's kind of hard for me to give like an example of, you know, what a, a typical farm and ranch looks like just because it's so diverse. We we're in central Nebraska. So as I mentioned earlier in the introduction, we're pretty diversified. We're actually involved in every sector of the beef industry, except for feedlot. Um, and then obviously like harvest, we don't own, you know, we don't own a, a, a plant, a packing plant or a harvesting plant. The heart of our operation is a cow calf operation. And then we do have a small registered herd too. And then we do backgrounding and development. And then we actually, my husband has a custom AI business too. So that is when um, you do artificial insemination in animals. And so we do that as well. So yeah, it's just, it's just really hard for me to say like, this is, yeah. you know, what agriculture looks like because it is, it's such a diverse thing. Yeah. Well, I think one misunderstanding that I, my, I know my sister, she's talked a lot about, she has a small operation, but she talked about how a lot of people, there's a lot of misunderstandings with the labeling of meat because all cattle are grass fed. And I know that we get labels and marketing where, you know, you don't, people don't understand the difference between grass fed, grass finished, or when they get grain or that all cattle to some extent are grass fed. And so I think that's something that maybe people don't imagine is the case. Can you speak to that at all? Yeah. So again, that comes down to, um, again, why I'm so passionate just about sharing and stuff, because I do think marketing does dirty little tricks to like trick <laughs> consumers into. And I, I feel so, um, you know, my heart goes out to consumers who are just in the grocery store trying to make the best decision. And yeah. they have all these claims that they don't understand. And that people are just making up, you know, to, they're obviously not making them up, but it's like, what does, you know, organic versus this, versus this, versus this actually truly mean when you break it down? But yeah, I mean, you brought up a really important point that um, I, I somehow, again, just in that disconnect is lost that every, you know, agriculture producer understands. And that's that, you know, about two thirds of an animal's life is going to be the same, whether they are, you know, grass fed or grain fed. So two thirds of the life, they're going to be with the mama cow out on pasture. Like that is just how cattle are raised, uh, where they differ. And when the labels come into play is at the end of the life cycle. So at the very end, it's usually about four to six months. That's when the finishing stage is introduced. And that's when you can either become, you know, grass fed and finished where, you know, that forage is like the only thing they're getting, or you have the opposite end where you're introducing, you know, like a, a grain fed, um, into the picture. So I do think people have this misconception that like corn fed means like that's all the animal got. And they're mm -hmm, just like, exactly. you know, mowing on these like <laughs> pounds of corn. Yeah. Um, but they're not <laughs> like even corn fed was on grass up until, you know, again, two thirds of their life. And even when the corn is introduced, they're still actually getting like grass and hay and other forage. So even at that point, corn is not typically, again, that'll depend on like the region and the prices and the availability of feeds. But even at that point, if they are a grain finished animal, that's still not the only thing they're getting. They're still getting like grass in their diet. So again, it's a, it's, it, you know, agriculture is in the nuance. It's in understanding those little things instead of just, um, again, taking what people say and, and see, seeing, you know, grain fed and thinking, you know, that's bad. Don't have that. It's like doing the research to understand what that actually means. Right. Yeah. I think sometimes people imagine like 12, cattle lined up in one little small room just eating corn and nothing else and not understanding that that's actually not that wouldn't even be profitable for a farmer to to do something like that so it's it is a misunderstanding with just knowing how this all works I remember whenever I used to get milk from farmers I always would ask the question well do they ever get grain and the farmers would always be like 
well, during milking, we have to give them grain. I'm like, why can't you just give them grass all the time? And now that I have a dairy cow, I'm like, I completely understand that. <laughs> At some times, this is necessary. And so I think it, for me, it was just hearing that they needed to be grass fed and not understanding when certain things were introduced and for what reasons. And so it's nice to have accounts like yours that actually break that down. Thank you. Yeah. But yeah, exactly. So, okay. One of the things that you talk about too on your page is farmers wasting feed on cattle. I'm, I'm totally getting into controversial waters at this point, but what do you hear about that a lot? And what is the misconception on that if we all just replaced meat with some other form of protein that there would be more food to actually feed the nation. Yeah. So this is another thing that um, is just not, and I don't, again, there's no blame for not being aware of these things, but, and I've actually been wanting to do like a side-by-side reel about this. So you'll hear a lot that like, um, and I think this is what you're talking about, but you'll be like, you know, two thirds of the land in the U S is used for grazing animals Mm -hmm. and like shame on us for using all that land and we're hoarding it and we're wasting it and we're ruining it. And like, if you, I can vividly remember watching a part in Cowspiracy and they played like, you know, terrible music behind it and they made it all like, <laughs> can you believe this? And it's right. Two thirds of the land, uh, land mass is what's called arable or non-arable or marginal. So that means we're using it to graze animals, but that is because it's the only thing it can be used for. So that's why it's called a non-arable or marginal is because it's either too hilly, too rocky. It's like not fertile enough, whatever. It's like kind of like where I am in my ranch, like the Nebraska Sandhills. If you guys followed me along in stories, you'd see there is no way to actually grow food on that land. Like the only thing we can do with two thirds of our land mass is actually grazed animals on it. So thank goodness, right? right? Thank goodness for ruminants that we have, they have the capability to upside and take cellulose, like grass, something, an inedible human product, and turn it into this high protein, you know, food that's delicious that we can digest. So yeah, I think when people try and, uh, you know, point the finger and say that like we're wasting land or we're wasting resources, they're not understanding or people are, you know, certain groups or media or whatever it is are actually using that statistic and twisting it to make it seem like it's a bad thing. But it's like, we're actually taking land that we can't do anything else with. And we're providing, you know, food that humans can consume with it. Um, And I think the other thing to point out and talk about with this too, is that we don't think about um, the nutritional factor of it too, right? So, okay, like, let's say somehow magically we did figure out somehow to, to take that two thirds of, you know, non-arable marginal land that uh, we, we can't plant on, but somehow we figured it out and we planted on it for human consumption. Like is corn, is that really what we want to be putting into our diet? And I know sustainable dish does, I'm a, again, I'm a little out of my wheelhouse getting into like nutritional. Cause I just don't, I just don't spend it. I'm not a dietitian. I just don't want to spend the time like fighting that fight. And so she does a ton of work on this. So if anyone's interested, she's, um, she has a book coming out and she's, she's a good resource for it. Um, but she talks a lot about like, cause people will say, well, you know, we're putting corn to cattle consumption. What about just giving that corn to humans? But it's like, what, so we can eat more corn syrup. Like, is that, is that the ultimate goal? You know, like we have to also think about the nutritional value and beef is like a very high tr- protein, you know, source. And I just don't think that's part of the conversation enough is like, okay, you're kind of comparing apples to oranges by like just saying we'll take that corn or whatever as we're producing, like it's like what's the nutritional value of the food we'd actually be introducing into society then versus like what, you know, beef and protein does for the body. Yeah. I actually was the other day just listening to a podcast and it was all about gardening and they were talking about, you know, all these methods of gardening. And then they're like, wait a minute, just just really quick. 
If your goals for your little tiny homestead is to replace food from the grocery store, which vegetables are great. We, I love gardening. They love gardening. But if that's the goal, if it's not for, you know, the satisfaction of it and for adding some lovely different ingredients all to your diet and to your meals and fresh ingredients, but if it's just for how can I get the most food and protein for the least amount of space, they're like, wait a minute, if that's your goal, move over to chickens, move over to maybe a dairy cow that you can milk because these are these nutrient dense protein sources that on a small plot of land will actually give you, like you can't live off a bed of kale. If you're making like a whole acre garden of kale, again, great ingredients. I love them too, but that is not something that is actually going to sustain a person. So I think what you're what you're saying is basically, are we going to be able to survive if in some off chance we could actually turn two thirds of this into uh, corn, a, a ability to grow corn? Are we now going to actually live healthy, strong, robust lives on corn and corn syrup? Probably not. Yeah. And I just, it, you also think, I mean, we can't grow avocados in the Midwest. You know, there's certain things like there's just certain areas of land we, you can't grow stuff on. So even if it, you like, well, people are like, well, we're not all going to plant corn. We're going to plant like other produce, you know, and all these things. It's like, that's not how it works. Like there's a reason California, you know, has a wide range of, you know, agriculture and what they're producing there versus, you know, what's produced in the Midwest versus, versus what's in the East. It's like our land does dictate what, what is able to grow in certain places. So again, people who just try and break down like agriculture and food and climate change into these nice, neat little boxes. I'm like, that's just not how it works. It's a very complex, you know, a very, very complex system. And that's even just saying nationally, that's not even like getting into the discussion of like importation and exportation and like what we're growing to export and import and the whole balance of that. So yeah, I just, I think that's like one of the reasons why I keep using my voice is because I just, I'm like, I just want to bring awareness to how complex this is and be like, you know, if we're really going to, you know, move forward as a society that's, um, you know, we're feeding people and taking care of our land. Like we have, we have to come together. We have to work together. We have to have support for our farmers and ranchers and we have to stop thinking of it as so black and white. Like it's a very complex issue. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So what are some of your resources that you would recommend for people to dig deeper? Obviously, you have your Instagram account where you're sharing your message of facts, not fear, and the role of livestock and feeding the nation. Do you have any books or anything that led you to a lot of what you know, or is it mostly just based on what you've observed on your own ranch? Yeah. So one of the best advocates out there right now, if you're interested in cattle and climate or like ruminants, and um, I always say cattle because that's like the first thing that comes <laughs> to mind for me. But his name is Frank Mitloner. And I actually um, did an interview with him and he's on my blog. Oh, okay. But he is a professor out of UC Davis um, and he's an environmental specialist. And he's doing a ton of research in cattle and climate. And he's really looking at greenhouse gas you know, production and what we can do um, as producers to, um, you know, to accurately measure like our contribution and then also what we can do to improve. Um, he has a, a pretty big stance on, he, he talks a lot about carbon and methane. And one of the reasons why I love him so much is obviously he's coming from a place of science, which I think is what a lot of people want, right? To be able to, to understand this, it's like we have to have credible sources. And so he's a really great, um, if you just Google his name, Frank Mitlorner, like a bunch of stuff will come up. And I, I really think he's heading a lot of the work in that area. I had mentioned 
sustainable dish. I'm, I'm forgetting her for her actual name right now, but she has a book out and she does a ton of work in this area. So she'd be a really good resource for people. And then anyone who's really wanting to look into like meat, as far as from a health standpoint, there's called the big fat surprise. It's a book by Nina Teicholz. Okay. And she actually goes back in history and kind of breaks down um, like where the changes to our food pyramid was made and who was making those changes and the studies um, and kind of how flawed they were. And a lot of where that misinformation propagated from. Um, and, and really dictated how it changed our food pyramid and how consumers were eating, like when we shifted from protein to more carb. And, and just, it, it's a fascinating read. It's a big book. I'm only, I think I only made it through about like three fourths of my way through. Um, and I haven't revisited since, but it was, I learned a ton about um, the diet standpoint. Um, so if anyone's interested in that component, she's she's doing a lot of work on that. Awesome. Those are really great resources. I wish I could remember my sister read a book that was very impactful recently, and I cannot remember what it's called. So if I think of it, I will leave it down in the show notes. So that way, it'll have a whole list of further resources, as well as your Instagram page where you're sharing constant information and all kinds of even what was your most popular? You're the one who's doing the awesome songs. <laughs> I think that was you. The what? Songs, like country songs. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that is. Um, yeah. I, <laughs> I um, music, it's so odd, but music is very powerful for me. Um, I've always had playlists and ton of different songs and I love like finding new artists. And so I used to just play like songs on, you know, over my stories all the time. And my audience would always comment and be like, what's your Spotify? What's your Spotify? Like, where'd you find this song? When you're sharing online, you learn to listen to your audience of what they, you know, what your community wants from you. Yeah. So yeah, I share, um, I'll do reels that share, like, um, I try and find new artists that aren't, you know, everywhere to, to make it interesting, but yeah, I love music. I think mu music is like healing and, yeah. and just great. I've definitely saved your reels that have that because I, I like having music just for around our house and I get tired of the same things over and over and I, I need inspiration on that. So side note from all of this agriculture yeah. <laughs> message, if you also want some really yeah. great songs, another thing that you can find over on your Instagram. I do share more than just ag facts. I try to, there, there is a little more depth to me, but yeah, I'm in stories a lot too. Just, um, if you, if you just want to, you know, a, a look at, uh, you know, one ranch in the, in the United States and what one ranch family's doing. Um, I'm, I'm usually in stories daily, so I show up there a lot. Yeah. So Natalie Kovarik, sorry, remind me how you pronounce your last name. You said it earlier. You were honestly extremely okay. close. <laughs> Kovarik. Yeah. Okay. Very close. Kovarik, Natalie Kovarik over on Instagram. It'll also be linked in the description box and the show notes. So you can go check out, follow the behind the scenes learn a lot about agriculture, see what they're doing on their ranch. Lots of exciting behind the scenes of a large ranch in Nebraska and country music inspiration as well. So, <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Natalie. Even though we had technical difficulties, I think this turned out really great and that there's going to be a lot of information for people to, that was like a jumping off board for learning more and just as a general introduction to this topic. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Simple Farmhouse Life podcast. Hope that you learned a lot and that you are inspired to learn more about this topic. I think it's an important one to learn where our food comes from, who the people who are actually behind it are, and seeing a little bit more behind the scenes of how your food gets to your plate. So go ahead and follow along with Natalie as she continues to share behind the scenes of her farm and a lot more educational information. As always, thank you so much for listening, and I will see you in the next episode of the Simple Farmhouse Life podcast. <laughs>